Hey, good morning. Hey, I thank you for coming to church this morning. Can I just say I love Sundays? Sundays are my favorite day. Um, I love Sunday. I love it when I get to start with church. And hold on a second. One. We're good. There you go. All right. Let me start over. <laughs> hey, can I just say I love Sundays? I, I, I really, really do. Uh, I love uh, Sunday mornings going to church, and you guys started the day right by coming to church. I know sometimes it's hard to get out of bed, um, but you're here, and we thank you for that. And how about Sunday afternoons? Can we give it up for Sunday afternoons, Broncos games, naps, you know, whatever you have planned on this wonderful fall day? Um, I want to tell you, that to start this morning, I want to tell you about my seventh grade year. My seventh grade year was one of the more difficult years of my life. Um, and I, I think there's a number of contributing factors to that. I mean, first of all, just that whole sixth, seventh, eighth grade kind of period. Some people are nodding their heads. It can be kind of rough. And if you're, hey, if you're here and you're in that period of life, I would just want to say respect. Like, honestly, stick with it. Um, and, and, and it gets better. It really, really does, right? Everybody, we can say it gets better with time. Not everybody said yes, but I think it does. Um, uh, that, so that was one of the things that was, another thing that was contributing to it was uh, my, my sixth grade year, I was in a school of about 50, and in my seventh grade year, I, I transferred to a school of about 500 plus students, and I was just overwhelmed. I was just swimming. That was this, I was really small. I was this little kid, and I was just swimming in the sea of other middle schoolers, and that was tough. But I think, honestly, the biggest reason I had a hard time in middle school was because I looked like this. Yeah, that's for real. Isn't that a great little mini Josh right there? And if you can't see it or if you're listening online and, and you're wondering what we're looking at, uh, you're looking at a, a silk shirt, me in a silk shirt, button-down shirt with all sorts of geometric shapes on it and purple and blue, and that didn't help. I'm sure I, there's some buck teeth going on. That didn't help, but I mean, let's, let's just speak to the elephant in the room. It's really all about the mullet. <laughs> That's really what got me in trouble my seventh grade year, and I often look at this picture and think to myself, how? How, how did this happen? Part of me blames my mother, who's here today. Like, how did you let me leave the house this way? Part of me blames a guy. There was a guy that we knew that had, like, this really slicked back hair, and that's the look that I was going for, which is a look that little white boys with afros should not try to do. It just doesn't work. Um, so, yeah, that's what I looked like uh, in seventh grade. And, uh, and so uh, uh, probably the biggest thing that made seventh grade really difficult was I was picked on a fair bit, uh, and some of you might be able to, to uh, relate to, to that. I had these guys that, there were certain guys that I was constantly on the lookout for in the hallway, and if I saw them, I would quick, you know, dive into a classroom or turn left on a different hallway or hide behind a giant middle school girl who, there's lots of them to hide behind because I was so small. Um, so that I wouldn't get pushed into a locker or I wouldn't get, uh, uh, you know, uh, called names or whatever. And that, that was kind of stressful. It was, it was difficult. Uh, and that's what made that year really difficult for me. And out of all of those guys, there's this one guy, um, we're going to name, we're going to call him Kurt. Kurt was, uh, he was above and beyond. He went above and beyond in picking me, picking on me. So I was really always on the lookout for him. And unfortunately, he and I had a lot of classes together. We played a couple sports together, and so life was kind of just difficult that way. Um, I was kind of always 
afraid of being ridiculed and, and that kind of stuff. And, and, and what happened is, I, I, I have memories of this. I have memories of, of trying to look out for him in the hallways. I also have memories of, I remember times daydreaming about what I would do if given the chance. What I would say if I could, if I could speak my mind and just tell him off. Uh, what, I, what I would do to him if, if I was able to magically grow a foot and become a ninja overnight, which every middle schooler thinks about because you get those, those crazy growth spurts. And so I was hoping for that to happen. But I, there's one, one distinct memory that I have, a daydream that I had in, in, in middle school. And this isn't a joke. This is for real. I, have, I had a daydream that went on for years where I was sitting in class and uh, Kurt was in that class as well, and, and I, I would have these things called magic hands. And I, there were these fists that were invisible and that I could control, they could float through the room, and I would take, I, I imagine taking those magic hands, those fists, and just you know, floating them over by Kurt right in the middle of a boring social studies class or something like that, and just punching him in the face. Ow! You know, right in the middle of the class, like everybody's like, "What's he? What's he doing?" You know, he's acting all weird. A couple minutes, you know, things calm down. A couple minutes later, go by, and then I'm like, "Pop, pop!" You know, two jabs, and all of a sudden he's like, "Stop it!" Hey, oh, you know, he's yelling and stuff like that, and and he's in, in pain. Maybe he's like on the ground, and people are laughing at him, and you know, he's all confused, and 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 isn't that horrible? Like seriously, isn't that just cruel? And unusual, but that's, that's, for me, that's like honest. If I'm being honest, that was a daydream that I had because in response to somebody who treated me very, very poorly, uh, someone who embarrassed me, um, so if, if I had the chance to make his life difficult, I would have. And that's, that's like me being honest, is, and it's, it's amazing. Like that's a very real and vivid thought in my mind I remember having in response to this guy. And, and, and the way he treated me. My question for you this morning is, we're just going to dive right in. What's it for you? Who, who is it for you? What, and what's, the, what's the, the daydream look like? What's your story? Who is somebody that's hurt you deeply in the past? Have you ever thought about what you would do if, if you were given the chance, if all of a sudden you could say whatever you wanted to say, you could speak your mind, and nobody would say boo? You could right some wrongs that they've done to you. What would you do? And, no, and, and maybe no one would be there to stop you. All, all of a sudden, you, you're the judge, you're the jury, and you can just do whatever you want. What would you do? Maybe, maybe even people would applaud you because they know your sad story, and you'd, you'd say, this is, you know, this is why I'm doing this. And I thought, it's kind of an interesting question, isn't it? Like, what would you do if given the chance to pay back? the people who have hurt you a lot in the past. I was thinking to myself, it'd be kind of fun to have like an open mic, you know, and we could all come up here, line up one by one, and just kind of tell our sad story and be like, and this is what I would do. And then we could kind of like chime in, oh, what you should really do is this. You're like, oh, that's a good one. I didn't even think to light their car on fire. That's fantastic. And then I said, you know, that would be fun, but it wouldn't be church if we did that. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we should be thinking about the, you know, dwelling on such things. But so here's another question. Here's another question. And some of you, if you've been here with us through this series on Belay, you know exactly where I'm going with this question right now, right? I'm about to ask the question, what would somebody who is you do 
if they were completely confident that God was with them? I'll explain this question, why it's here in a second, but what would somebody who is you do if all of a sudden you were given the power over the people who had hurt you the most and you were 100% confident that God was with you? What would you do? What, what, would you, what would you do? What would somebody who, what would somebody who is you do with the exact same X that you had? Not, not, not someone who's similar, the exact same X. What would somebody who is you do if they had the same boss that's belittled you? The same brother or sister that just took every opportunity they could to, to, to make you feel small? What would somebody who is you do uh, uh, with, a, with the same dad of, that you had that was never around? What would, what would somebody who is you do to, to a bully that, that, that made you want to not even go to school? What would somebody who is you do with fill in the blank, whatever it is for you, the, 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 that difficult person, what would somebody who is you do in that scenario and they were, if they were 100% confident that God was with them. See, we're going to wrap up this series called Ambele today. And if you're new to us, we do things in series. We do things, we take a, a, a topic and we talk about it for a few weeks at a time. And, and, then, and then we move on to another series. And today we're going to end Ambele. And throughout this series, uh, if you've been with us, you know we've been asking this question. This is the Ambele question. What would somebody who is you do if they were completely confident that God was with you? And through that, it's this, this great question because we've talked about it. The very first week we talked about what would somebody who is facing the trials, the difficulties, the dark times that you're facing do if they were 100% confident that God was with you. That was the first week. And it was a great question because it allows us to take a step back and be like, when we're facing those difficult times, you know, and we're about to make a decision, we're like, okay, 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 wait, 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 wait. I know what I would want to do. I know I want to go this way. But what would somebody who's 100%, it gives us this, this chance to kind of just step away from the situation and assess what does it mean to trust God? The second week, the last time we were together, so good. We, we asked the question, what would somebody who is you do if they were completely confident that God was with them as they faced prosperity, as they faced good things? Like, as they faced, like, and we talked about this dynamic about, you know, there's, there's, the, God's kind of in this dilemma when it comes to relating to us sometimes. Because if, if he allows things to be bad, we're, we're, gonna, we're liable to say, God, what the heck, do you even care about me? And then on the flip side, if he allows things, those kids are having a blast, aren't they, right now? Do you want to go over there? I'll go over there. If, uh, what would somebody, uh, I lost it. Where was I? Uh, on the flip side, on the flip side, we're so, if, if God allows us to, all these good things to happen and all these good things and prosperity comes to life, all of a sudden, we're not mad at God. We're like, where is, oh, God? I forgot, do I, I forgot about God. Oh, yeah, God. You, you know, like we play that, like that's, it's so true in our lives. If things are going good, we tempt, we're tempted to just kind of go through life. If things are going bad, we're like, you know, I was talking to somebody this morning, God's always around to blame, you know? And, that's, and we asked, okay, so what would somebody who is, do you do if they were completely confident that God was with them and, and, and you're prosperous? It's a good question for people in Evergreen, Colorado. And today, we're going to continue with that question with what we're talking about on this whole idea of revenge. The, the ambele thing is, is, a, is a climbing term. 
It's this idea of, of if, you've, if you've climbed before, you know the, there's, a, there's a rope system. That it's, a, it's a belay system that connects you between you and, so, and uh, somebody who's belaying you. And the purpose of the belay system is to, uh, to the person who's belaying takes up the slack of somebody who's climbing so that if they fall, they won't get hurt. And so in this, this relationship of a, a belay, in a belaying relationship, there's a sense of trust. Like, hey, I've got you. Another thing that happens when you're climbing and, and with, with a belayer is sometimes you're climbing and the person who's belaying you has a certain perspective on what you're climbing. And, you, and they're saying, you know what, you really want to go left. And, and, and the person, you might be the person climbing, you'll be like, that looks, no, I'm not going left, I want to go right. And you're like, the, the person's like, you really don't want to go right. Go left. And then that person who's belaying you, there's this, and also you're like, okay, I'm going to trust you. And we decided that there's a similar, there's a possibility for a similar connection between us and God. That we can live our lives in such a way, it's almost like we're climbing with God, we're connected with God. There's a connection between he and I, he and me. And he's, he wants to, to, to help lead where we're going. And if we fall, we can trust him. That's where Ambele comes from. And, and we see through scriptures that, that God, ever since the beginning of time, has been, he's been inviting all, all of humanity. He's been inviting you and me into this type of trust relationship. And that's why we call it Ambele. We looked at this man named Joseph in the last couple of weeks. And we're going to look at him again today. And this is a guy who, uh, starting at age, as a teenager, at age 17, was somehow able to, to trust God even through really dire circumstances. Even though he was sold into slavery, we find him just doing what anybody would do, who was confident that God was with him and was sold into slavery. And then things get worse. He gets thrown into a dungeon. He gets framed for rape and gets thrown in a dungeon. And we find him doing whatever somebody would do who's been sold into slavery by their brothers (laughs) and then thrown into a dungeon, framed for rape would do if they're confident that God was with them. And then last time we were together, we saw Pharaoh, uh, we saw that Joseph go from like dungeon to prime minister of Egypt. Pharaoh elevated him and made him, made him second in command. And, and, and what do we find Joseph do? Well, we find Joseph doing what anybody would do who's been sold into slavery, get thrown into a dungeon because he's framed, by, framed for, for rape, and now is elevated to second most highest person in the world and is cruising around in a chariot would do if they're confident that God was with him. And uh, we're going to pick up today in Genesis 42, right where, right where we left off. And in Genesis 42, uh, Joseph talked to Pharaoh. about it. Pharaoh had this dream, if you remember, if you're familiar with the story, you were here last time. And he had this dream of seven cows getting eaten by seven other cows and seven heads of grain being eaten by seven other heads of grain. And Joseph said, this is what that means. It means there's going to be a famine in the land. There's going to be, seven, or, no, there's going to be plenty. There's going to be seven years of just awesome harvests followed by seven years of horrible famine. And he's like, Pharaoh, this is what you need to do. You know, what you should do is appoint somebody who can go through the land and collect all 20% of all of this grain, store it up so that when the famine comes, you've got what you need. And Pharaoh just kind of stops. He's like, okay, is there anybody else that better than you to do that, Joseph? So here you go, you can do it. And we find Joseph just doing what anybody would do who's confident that God was with him after Pharaoh put him second in command. If you're a business person, 
This story is incredible. It's found in Genesis 40, like 35 to 50. It's, it's, you could read it in a couple days, like just you know, 20 minutes a day in a couple days. It's fascinating to see how shrewd this guy is. He's very smart. During that seven years of plenty, he goes around and collects so much grain that the Bible says that, that they just stopped counting it because he was so shrewd. And then all of a sudden, the fam- it switched overnight. And this famine came, this horrible famine came. And all of a sudden, a bunch of pe- starving people come crawling all over Egypt. And, and, and Joseph is able to save all these people because of what he did. See, starving people, so, you know, like, so, so seven years go, there's seven years of plenty. And then seven years, the, the, the famine hits. And then all of a sudden, droves of people come in to, to see Pharaoh. And Pharaoh just points. He says, go talk to that man. He's the man with the plan. Go talk with him. And, and, and Joseph, says, Joseph says this, okay, we'll make two lines here. If you're here for grain, go ahead and line up here. If you're gluten-free, line up over here. Okay, I was just joking. He didn't really say that. I was just making sure you're paying attention. And he opens up the storehouses, and he saves a whole bunch of people. We're picking up in Genesis 42. And, and this is where we're picking up. It's really cool because this is where the story gets interesting. Because all of a sudden, after years and years and years, Joseph's family, those brothers who sold him into slavery, get entered back into the picture of the story. It says this, verse 42, when Jacob, that, then Jacob is Joseph's, Joseph's dad, who thinks that Joseph is dead and gone. It has been all, over 20 years since he's seen his son. So when Jacob uh, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his son, and this is, this is a great phrase, he says to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? That's literally what the Bible says. Really firming father there. Hey, do something. Quit sitting on your hands. Why do you keep looking at each other? He continued, verse, verse 2, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that, you, that we may live and not die. Here's a good idea. So, the, so they're about 200 miles away in the land of Canaan, outside of like the modern-day Palestine-Israel area. And in Egypt is grain. He'd heard about this. And uh, so he says, go and get grain. And this next line is great. Verse 3. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. Ten, meaning the ten. <laughs> this is the infamous ten. The, the dirty nearly dozen. Okay, The, the people, the, the ten brothers who 20 years ago threw their younger brother into a cistern with the intent to kill him and said at the end, they said, oh, let's not kill him, let's just sell him into slavery. Those ten are now on the road to Egypt. Isn't this cool? Such an incredible story. We're going to get to see how God kind of just brings it all back around here. And then it says this, verse 6. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold the grain to all its people, of course. You know, just so happens. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. And if you were here in the last couple weeks, or if you're familiar with the story, this is such beautiful poet. Like, this is, this is the fulfillment. If you know, Joseph had a dream when he was a teenager that, that all of his brothers, including his mom and his dad, would someday bow down before him. Which, to us, honestly, I was trying to think about it this week. There is no modern parallel in our culture to, to how big a deal that was to their culture. 
that, that, you know, he was the youngest son, that they would bow down to him. That was just, I mean, when he told, in fact, when he told them that, that story, that, that he had this dream that God gave him, they got mad at him. They're like, what the heck, man? What do you think? You know, like, you think you're better than us? And, and so he had this dream when he's a teenager, and then all of a sudden on this random Tuesday, Joseph wakes up to go distribute more grain, and he walks into the palace, and he, you know, does his thing, and he's, you know, people are coming, and he's like, okay, next in line. And all of a sudden, 10 gentlemen, Hebrew gentlemen, come and bow down before him, and it's a fulfillment of this God dream, this God-given dream that he had 20 years ago. Isn't that incredible? Here's another incredible thing. See, something else happened in that moment. Not only was that God dream fulfilled in that moment, a bunch of Joseph's daydreams were fulfilled in that moment. You, you think about it? This kid that just got sold into slavery and he's got to walk 200 miles in shackles to Egypt contemplating what kind of slave he's going to be. What do you think he's thinking about? When I get home, I'm going I'm to give it to him. I'm going to tell dad so bad. That's probably what he was thinking about when he was 17. And then, and then years go by and he finds himself in Potter's first house and that goes okay. And then he gets thrown in a dungeon. And then laying on a dungeon floor, you got a lot of time to think, right? What do you think about? What do you think Joseph is thinking about? He's thinking about a moment when he could pay them back. And that moment's today. It's here. It's arrived. It's a fulfillment of his daydream and the fulfillment of his God dream. And here's, here's why I think this is so important. It's so relevant for all of us today. Simply this, we'll put it this way. This will happen. The people who have hurt you will eventually need you. See, what we learn from Joseph's story is what goes around has a tendency of coming around. And, and, and some of you know, from a personal standpoint, you're like, this has happened to me. The people who have hurt me most, all of a sudden, I, had, I pick up the phone, and they're on the other end of the line. And I have something they need, and I'm really conflicted because I'm like, what the heck? Like, like did you forget everything you did to me? Did you forget all the graduation, the parties, the, like, the games that you missed, Dad, and all of a sudden you're calling me now out of the blue? What is this? And even if you're saying, no, 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 I, the people who have hurt me know us, they live in a far, far away galaxy named Cincinnati or something like that. That'll never happen. I'm just telling you, the world's a small enough place. Isn't it true you just never know who you're going to run into at the grocery store? You just never know. And you can blame it on coincidence. You can blame it on God. You can blame it on Facebook because technology has just this way of making the, the, the world a smaller place, doesn't it? The people who, will hurt you, who have hurt you, eventually there will come a point in time where they will need you, just like what happened to Joseph. The question is, what are you going to do? <laughs> what are you going to do when they're bowing before you and all of a sudden you have something that they need? Let's keep reading. Genesis 42, 7. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers... He recognized them, but they, and it says that they didn't recognize him. I mean, how could they? This is a, like, and he, it, well, keep going. He, he's, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where did you come from, he said, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. 
<laughs> I love what happens next. Joseph says this next. He's like, no, that's not true. You're spies. <laughs> and, and so here he is. They're, they're bowing down before him. He knows exactly who they are. And he starts, he's like, I can't help it. I got to mess with them. I'm sorry. You're spies. I'm, I'm, let's, let's throw you in jail. I, I want to introduce you. Come, come this way, please. I need to introduce you to someone. Guys, this is the warden. <laughs> warden, this is the, these are them. This is the guys I told you about. Have fun. You know, to make sure you tuck them in extra tight that night, tonight, and tell them a couple ghost stories. It'll be great. He walks away, leaves them in the dungeon. It's great. Like, like he's got them in putty in their hands. And, and, and honestly, he probably thought, I want to kill him. You know, like if he had let his daydreams inform him, he would have been like, let's make some head ro- heads roll right now. Or at the, very, at the very least, he's probably thinking to himself, you know how good it would, it would feel to just say No. I have what you need. I'm so sorry. No. And just let those 10 despicable men do the walk of shame out of the palace. Ta-ta. Instead, he just throws them in prison. He goes a little bit easier, but he still plays them. I love this. I love this. Guys, here's the warden. And then, uh, so what happens next is he lets them rot in jail for three days, pulls them out, and he says, okay, listen, this is what's going to happen next. This is how this is going to go down. I'm going to keep one of you here in prison. The rest of you go home. You say you're from the land of Canaan. You'd mentioned you have another brother. If that's true, I want you to go get that other brother, which, by the way, this is a brother that's a full brother of Joseph's, uh, his brother Benjamin, who he didn't even know existed before that Tuesday afternoon. And all of a sudden, he hears about this, and, and, and literally, like, the Bible talks about him weeping, like, starting to weep because he's, like, this emotion of, like, oh, my gosh, I have a brother I didn't even know about. He says, go get that brother, come back, and then I'll know that you're not spies. But you over here, what's your name? Okay, Simeon, you come here, I'm going to put you in jail. So he sends him home. And this is great. They, they, he lets them buy grain because they need grain for their families. They need you know, all this food. And then when, they, when, they, when he loads up the grain, he puts the silver for the grain that they, bought, that they used to buy the grain back in their sacks. <laughs> so they get down the road like halfway home. They, they, pull out a, you know, they open up the, the sack to get a snack and they find all this silver. They're like, we are doomed. We, we, how are we ever going to explain this? But they go home anyway. They get home and they start to approach Jacob. And I can picture Jacob going, okay, one, two, three, four. Hey, you guys lost one. <laughs> Again. You know you have too many kids. when You, you have to have like a, a hey, did you use the buddy system? I mean, come on. You're, just, you're like, one, count off. One, two, three, four. Where's four? You know, like who's number four? Who's number four? Again, that's just way too many kids. That's why we stopped at three. But, but he's, like, he's like, hey, where's Simeon? And the brothers are like, yeah, um, long story. You know, there's this guy, and he said this, and we said that, and he put us in jail and didn't let us out, and he kept Simeon, and we need to, he, uh, Jacob, this is how this is going to work. We're going to have to bring Benjamin home. Uh, we're going to have to bring Benjamin, I'm sorry, home. We're going to bring him back to Egypt if we ever want to see Simeon again. And, and Jacob replies, well, you're not doing that because Benjamin, I've already lost Joseph and Benjamin is my favorite son for my favorite wife. <laughs> you know, hashtag polygamy problems. I don't know. It's just like, you know, like, he, the, you, so you're not taking him because he's my favorite. And they're like, you know, they fight about it for a while and then nothing happens and time goes by. Um, 
you know, time goes by and, and, and uh, they eat the food, they run out of food, um, all these things happen, and, and then finally the brothers come to, to or no, no, Jacob comes to the brothers, he says, okay, go get food, and the brothers are like, listen, okay, we'll go get food, but we have to take Benjamin with us. And finally, kicking and screaming, um, um, Jacob agrees, and he's real fatalistic. He's like, if anything happens to that boy, I'll, I'm going to die. So they take Benjamin back to Egypt. They go quickly down there with double the amount of silver this time to try to, you know, like, hey, I don't know how this happened. We got all this silver, but here's more. <laughs> Sorry. Um, all sorts of other goods from in the, in the, uh, in the land, like myrrh and pistachios. It says pistachios. They bring pistachios down, which I thought was kind of cool. Joseph, and they present all of the stuff to Joseph, and Joseph just starts messing with them all the more. It's just, it's just, he does all this crazy stuff. They bow down. Again, they're bowing down before him, and he's like, oh, okay, cool. So you're not spies. You guys want to come over for, for lunch? And they're like, um, sure. So he brings them over to his house for lunch, and, th- and then he, he says, he has his attendants seat the brothers at a table in the order of their birth. And they're looking around and saying, what the heck is going on? I mean, they're just freaked out, okay? And then he's, you know, he's, they're eating and he's asking questions like, so how's your dad? You know, and they're like, great. You know, and then halfway through the, the, the dinner, they're like, oh, yeah, Simeon. Oh, go get Simeon out of the dungeon, you know, and they bring Simeon. In. I mean, it's just like he just messes with them. And it's really, really comical because half the time they're just bowing before him, bowing before him. And then there's also this side of things. It's not, it's not just comical, but for Joseph, it was actually extremely emotional. He's trying to keep his composure throughout this whole thing. And, and, and of time and time again, he's like right in the middle of a conversation and he's got to leave the room and he just breaks down and weeps. Because even though he has the power, he's conflicted. He's like, ah, these are the people who have hurt me the most, yet they're my brothers and I want to love them, but dang it, they're so hard to love. It's all this emotion. It's a really, really cool story as Joseph is trying to play the part. Well, at the end, he, he does one last trick on them. They get Simeon. He, he, they, they're able to buy some grain. They pack up their ba- bags. They give the stuff to Joseph, and they, they head on their way. And just when they think they're out, out of the clear, just when they think, okay, oh, finally, this whole fiasco is done. We've got all our brothers, that kind of thing. They get a little ways down the road, and Joseph sends the chariots after him. And the chariots pull up and said, you're arrested because you stole the, my, our master's silver goblet, which is this, this silver cup that evidently Joseph used like every day at his table or something. It was a special palace cup or something. And the, and the brothers are like, this is nonsense. That's not true. We, you know, like whoever, whoever would have stole it from you, it's not us. And if whoever stole it from you, kill him. You know, kill the guy who stole it from you and the rest of us will become slaves. <laughs> great poetic justice about to happen. They, so they bring them back and they open up, the, back to Joseph and they open up the bags and sure enough in, in the bag of Benjamin is the cup. The one son they had to come back with. <laughs> He's got the cup. And it's just too much for finally Judah, one of the brothers. One of the brothers who's the instigator of a lot of the evils throughout this whole process. It's just too much for him to handle. He stands up and he, or he, actually, he actually does the opposite. He like flattens himself before Joseph and he says, listen, please take me. Please. My, dad, he, my dad's life and this boy's life are intertwined. And if I come home without him, my dad will probably die 
of sadness. So please take me, you know. And it's just too much at this point for Joseph to bear. He can't, he can't, he can't play the part any longer. It's just too emotional. It's too, to watch this, this callous, really, really, really mean brother all of a sudden have this soft heart. He breaks down and he says, he calls to all of his attendants. He says, get out so that they didn't see you. In fact, let's just pick up on the story. This is... Uh, um, this is uh, chapter 45, verse 1. He says, Then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants, and he cried out loud, Have everyone leave my presence! So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. And he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him, and Pharaoh's household heard about it later. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. And he probably, at this point in time, he's probably said that in Hebrew, because up until this point, he'd been talking through an Egyptian interpreter. And imagine in that moment, all of a sudden, he busts out Hebrew, and he says, I am Joseph. I lost my place. Oh, is my father still living? <laughs> I love this. But his brothers were, able, were not able to answer him, because they were terrified at his presence. To which I say, I bet they were. <laughs> There's a ghost, and all of a sudden it's like, he's alive? I mean, like, seriously. It, then, the, then Joseph said to his brothers, this is verse 4, come close to me. I don't think so. <laughs> Reuben, you want to go close? I, I'm, I'm okay over here. Come close to me. When, when, and when they had done so, they finally warm up to him. He said, I am your Joseph brother, you know, the one you sold into slavery. <laughs> and now they're looking at this 40-year-old man. The last time they saw this kid, the last time they looked into his eyes, he was a 17-year-old looking up, at, up from the bottom of a well, thinking to, you know, saying, surely you're not going to do this, right? And now somehow he has become the prime minister of Egypt. This is such an incredible story. Come, come close to me. Um, yeah, let's, let's go to uh, verse 45. And now, and then this, is, this is incredible. And now, do not be distressed. Do not be angry with yourselves. In fact, don't even be angry with what you've done with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. To which you say, no, 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 no. God didn't send you to Egypt. Joseph, your brothers. He's like, no, I know, I know what you're thinking. But just because what, of what they'd done to me doesn't mean that God wasn't with me. It was because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now, there has been famine in the land. We're only two years into it. And the next five boys, they're going to be worse. There's going to be no plowing and no reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here, but God. You see this perspective that Joseph has on all of these circumstances, good, bad, and ugly, that he's had over the last 20 years? 
You see this perspective that he has. How does somebody get that perspective? You get that perspective by just simply doing what anybody would do if you were 100% confident that God was with you through hard and difficult trials, through loss and death. Through good times, when things are going your way, and even when the people who have hurt you the most are now bowing before you, and you can do whatever you want to them. I love ending on belay on this note. Because this is what God desires for you and me. This is what he wants. This is what he's calling us into. Is this idea of trust that we can go through life and we can trust him in every area of our lives. We can trust him with our finances. We can trust him with our careers. We can trust him with our relationships. We can trust him in the good times. We can trust him in the bad times. We can trust him when we have a chance to take revenge. We can have a connection with God that is so strong. He's offered it to us. He's chasing after us to, give it, to, to be connected to us in that way. To go through life and, and, and we get to this, the hard points of life and we're climbing and we're like, God, I don't know if you're there. And God's like, I'm there. I know. And if you fall, I've got you. God, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm stuck here. I, I, don't, I hate this job. I, sh- I think I should go this way. He's like, don't go that way. Just don't do it. Go left. Are you sure? Yeah, trust me. Follow me. Lean back on the rope. See, the cool part about all this, y'all, is Joseph, this, this kid, Joseph, from the ages of 17 to nearly 40, was able to trust God in this way. And my encouragement to you is, so can you. So can, so can I. We can trust God this way. And, and, and here's, here's the biggest reason why I, I, I think what makes me so bold in saying that we can trust God in this way is because we have something that Joseph didn't have. See, in between the time when Joseph walked the earth and now, Jesus came and stopped by. And during that time, Jesus lived in such a way This is Jesus, the Son of God, the one that that Colossians says that the fullness of God dwelled in. (laughs) Philippians says that he was in very nature God himself. God was walking around. And as he was walking around, he he talked about this relationship, this connection with the Father. I, I and the Father am one. You can, he encouraged people to pray and call God their heavenly father. And he talked about this connection. And here's, here's the hardest thing about Ambele. And this is why, this is a great way to end it. At, so there's this term called a crux. The crux of a climb or the crux of a move or in climbing. And it's, it's the most difficult portion. And I think this is the crux of trust. That, that trust in God, the reason why it's hard for us to trust in God sometimes is because in order to trust God, we have to come to grips with the fact that he will allow things to happen to us that are bad. But it doesn't mean that he can't use them for good. That's the story 
of Joseph's story. Years and years go by, in fact, and, and Joseph's, brothers, uh, Joseph's brothers come and live down in, in Egypt. He reunited with his dad. It's really this cool moment. And then all of a sudden, Jacob dies. The father dies, and the brothers are scared again. They're terrified because they're like, Maybe, what if dad was the only thing that was keeping Joseph from really have, like, putting the kibosh on us, clobbering us? And they come to him and they say, you know, dad, they bow down, you know, the whole bowing thing again. They're like, you know, dad loved you and, and, and he would love if you don't kill us. They say something similar to that. And Joseph again starts to weep. He says, am I in the place of God? What you intended for harm, God used for good. And as you're facing difficult things and questioning, God, are you there? Know that he is. And as you think about what it means to trust God, know, know that, that, that he, that, that even though he is silent, he is not absent. And even though, even though it's hard to lean back on the rope, you can trust him with every area of your life. And at the, the crux of this relationship that he wants to have with us is this idea of, okay, I know that following you doesn't mean all good things will always happen for me. But during that time, I will choose to believe that you are with me even when bad things are happening. And, and this is so cool, and that you can use them for good. Back to Jesus. God allowed his one and only son. If there was ever anybody in the world who is his favorite, it was Jesus. If there's ever anybody in the world who, who God wanted good things for, is Jesus, and he allows him to go to the cross. And what was intended to harm Jesus on the cross, God was able to use for good the saving of many lives. Your life and my life. Isn't that cool? God was with Jesus. God is with you. You can trust God with every area of your life. When things get hard, remember, what would somebody do? He was 100% confident that God was with him. When things get hard, don't look back and say, oh, you know, it, it, it don't feel. Like when you're facing that person that, that's wronged you so much, don't, don't, don't look back and say, see, I've done all these things, and don't allow that to fuel your anger. Instead, instead of looking back, look up and look to the cross. Say, if Jesus did that, I can do this. I can extend the forgiveness that was extended to me. Let me pray for us. God, thank you so much for this, this boy, this, this Joseph, who somehow was able to, to trust you in ways that I don't think I could. More than that, Lord, thanks for the cross. Oh, the cross, Lord. What you did on it is so inspiring. What you did on it, if we stop and we think about what you've done for us on the cross, it, it will give us so much motivation. It will give us so much uh, power to face what we need to face. Thank you for not just being a God that tells us how to live, but shows us how to live. For being a God who saves us. Lord, if there's anybody here today that, that, that hasn't really wrestled or thought about what you've done for them on the cross, I pray that this would be the moment. I pray that during these next few songs, that as we sing praises to you, um, that you would reveal to our hearts what you've done for us. Help us to trust you more. 
Help us to walk in trust. We pray for our children that they would grow in trust of you and help us to lead them. In your name, amen.